Welcome everybody to another episode of Born to Rain. We've got a special episode. We're kind of welcoming you into a family uh, discussion here. Yeah, We're yeah. talking covenant theology today, but we've got Jeremiah's cousin here, Miss Isabel Castillo, um, <laughs> to talk covenant theology. Jeremiah, I'm an you, you're the expert. Yes, <laughs> we, we brought you in to be the expert for us um, so that you can uh, teach us some things. Show us the ropes. Uh, learn, learn, <laughs> learn us some covenants. Um, the episode we have titled is A Robust Cup of Covenant. Uh, yep. Jeremiah, you were the one who kind of started using the word robust and covenant in the, the same um, yeah. the, the same sentence. Yeah, a little uh, too much. You want, <laughs> to the point where I would just, <laughs> if you use that word one more time, I will probably slap you. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to start and just kind of explain what you mean by robust, what is a robust covenant theology and why right. is it important? Um. Well, I began using that term a lot, uh, talking with uh, various parties. It just it became a phrase of mine. And since we hang out so much, um, you heard me use it with like several different people because that just happens. <laughs> and so the word robust, in case you, in case nobody knows, uh, which no, you should I've never know. heard you. I've never heard you, you say never that. You've never heard me say it? <laughs> no. Wow. That was the day that when we visited uh, your church that mm-hmm. day, everybody came up and asked them that they were... Uh, Hey, so what did you think of the church? I know it's not like your your normal church, the Presbyterian church that you normally go to. Yeah. And he's like, well, it's just really important for me to have a robust cup of covenant theology. Uh, <laughs> so it's like four to five different bit. people on the same day. Well, I used to be there. My dad's a pastor there. I used to be in like a leadership role there. So a lot of people still come and ask me questions and like, you know, poke fun. Uh, but robust means like vigorous, strong, and my definition is like all encompassing. Uh, the reason I use that so much is because there's a lot of misconceptions out there, like Calvinists, Calvinistic Baptists. Oftentimes, although they believe in unconditional election, they when it comes to covenant theology, they really don't know what they're talking about, uh, and it comes out in different ways, uh, such as not understanding secondary causes. That's a that's a direct consequence of covenant theology, or. Um, the federal vision controversy, um, although it was really bad, one of the good things about Presbyterian uh, covenant theology is that it kind of gets rid of the whole election glasses thing. Like I need to know who's elect and having a covenant theology where God works through households and he works through the covenant sign of baptism and through the church, uh, that gives us something to work with as opposed to almost the uh, you can't see this Gnostic elect tattoo that's on the inside of my <laughs> mouth on my left molar. Uh, a, rebo- a robust covenant theology kind of uh, throws a rat in the hyper-Calvinistic, Calvinistic Baptist uh, form of ecclesiology and also uh, just the way of living. Right. And like when, when you, uh, you referenced, um, I think we referenced it in our Calvinism episode last time uh, that there there's that time where you've got those really hyper Calvinists that go I can't I can't even tell my kids that Jesus loves them right uh, because I don't know if they're elect or not mm-hmm. um, well we're gonna we're gonna shed a, a bigger <laughs> umbrella and say look this is this is the covenant mm-hmm. um, and, and now who falls under it who do we treat like is under it who do we treat like is out of it yeah um, and then you know let God sort out some of the the, the 
he can tr- he can sort out the, the right. sheep and the goats uh, down the way. Right. I, I I like to if election and predestination is like a a, a ray of light, a photon. The covenant is the flashlight that God shoots it through. That's how I like to think about this. Election, God works election through the covenant. So a lot of people try to put it at odds. Does does the does election cut through the covenant? Yes. But what does what does the gospel flow through? Calvin called the church the mother of all believers. Because the church is where the gospel flows out of. And a lot of people are not gonna like that right. but that's the magisterial reform position and so uh anyways yeah the, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds so <laughs> if we that's why it's important that's why we would view it as important but then we have to then define what is what are, what are the basics of yes, covenant covenant and theology <laughs> um so we've got the main assumption of covenant theology is or the main not assumption the main proposition proposition word, um, is that there are three main covenants that, that we're viewing um, we have the covenant of redemption um, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace mm-hmm. so we start just with the covenant of redemption how, how would you define uh, covenant of redemption um, what is it where does it come from um, are you familiar with those terms is that mm-hmm. okay yeah, I've heard those. yeah so so me and isabel we grew up uh dispensational uh not there's not saying there's anything wrong with the way we grew up we grew up with under faithful families um but we grew up in a dispensational theology so the reason that it's good to have isabel here is because she's gonna um have questions and pre pre suppositions and she's just good to have here as a person who is going to ask a lot of the same questions that maybe a listener here is going to ask. So having just recently tumbled down the stairs herself. So, right. So welcome, welcome to the bottom of the reforms. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> uh, so just a few bumps and bruises along the way. I'm sure. <laughs> covenant of redemption. Um, the covenant of redemption is a, first of all, it's a covenant that was made before time began is a covenant within the Godhead. So, first of all, covenant redemption mandates the Trini- a Trinitarian God. You can't have a Unitarian God who resolves, who makes a covenant, because there's nobody else to make a covenant with. Um, so, the, so the Trinitarian God, uh, the Father made a covenant with the Son to save the elect people. That's the covenant of redemption, that he was going to redeem for himself a people. Uh, a lot of people are going to say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, <laughs> uh, Luke twenty two twenty nine says, uh, Jesus says, I, I will bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. Um, and looking at the overarching theme of scripture in Psalm 110.1, what does the father say to the son? Or Psalm 2.8, he says, today I've begotten you, I've made you a king. This is a conversation happening between the father and the son before eternity, before time began in eternity. Now, the scripture didn't have the word covenant in it. Well, that's because this is in English. But if you break out Blue Letter Bible, this word bestow, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as the Father bestowed one upon me. If you break out uh, any Greek manuscript, the Greek word there is diatheke, which is covenant. 
So he's so this can be translated literally, and I covenant upon you a kingdom just as my father covenanted one upon me. When did the father covenant that to the son? Before time began. We know that from Psalm 110, from Psalm 2, and from the mere fact that God's eternal, that right. he had this plan before he started. Right. <clears throat> well, you even have the, there, there's passages in Isaiah as well that, that point towards um, Christ being being promised those those um, being promised his his inheritance being promised um, that this this was his job if if we have redemptive history and this is what when we take covenant theology just as a as a broad brush is to say that God is doing doing one thing in history and that's the redemption of mankind it's all going to bring glory back to him but he's bringing redemption to mankind right. Um, where you know, if you take the the dispensational model that we take, um, is that yes, he's trying to redeem mankind, but there are different marks along the way of what he's what he's trying to do, um, and and uh, covenant theology takes a, a broader approach that says, okay, everything is included in this. Where he's doing one thing, and that's the redemption of mankind. Right. And from eternity past, he's saying, I'm going the Father telling the Son, I'm going to buy you a special people. This is this is you. Um, and when they fall, when they sin, you're going to go and you're going to buy them back with your own blood. Mm -hmm. You're re you're redeeming your own people. So there, that's that that compact uh, with covenant contracts. Mostly, mostly, uh, you know, if we want to just use the, the term covenant, right? They covenanted with <clears throat> the, the Godhead, covenanted among Himself uh, that He was going to save the world. Yeah. Um, so, and and just as like when you're baking a nice, uh, I don't know. Pastry and what's a good pastry butterfinger roll? What are they called? What's <laughs> like a butter like butter braid? Butter the butter braid. Butter yeah. When like you're when you're it's baking. butter braid season too. We're getting to the fall time. Everybody's selling the butter braid. Like when you're baking a nice butter braid in the oven, and you know when that when that bread is done because it just starts to fill your house with like the scent of like oh that yeah. butter braid's getting ready. I'm about to chomp down. Uh, that's God. God is a covenantal being. He covenanted within himself, and when he created the world, the reason why uh, reform folk are so like covenant, 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 <laughs> is because is because it's like it's the aroma from God. Everything's covenant, and in the Bible, God has a covenant with the sun. He has a covenant with the moon. He has a covenant within himself. He has a covenant with man. He has it. Coven. We breathe covenantal air because God is covenantal being right so the reason that it's important uh recognizing the covenant of redemption is because it says something about god and a lot of people will say like eh, well covenants you know they're in the bible but no no you don't understand they are they are so instrumental in everything the word covenant is used over 280 times in scripture it's a lot of you that know means it's probably not that important <laughs> yeah that means we can Go over this next week. Like, so the covenant of redemption, you're saying, is between God and Jesus before time. Yeah. So Jesus wasn't like a plan B. Like, because right. I feel like a lot of people treat like what happened with like the fall and then Jesus coming and redeeming us from that. Like, oh, it was just like God's plan B or like because we really messed up, God had to make a way. Right. But right. it's like he planned that before eternity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, even Re Revelation that says that... Uh, Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation mm. of the world. So it wasn't like God was taking you know, sinful man in the garden and going, ooh, dear, let's, let's, uh, um, uh, what, what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Ooh, 
a woman, your seed is going to crush the head of that serpent. Like, right. that, that's my good idea. <laughs> Here we go. He, was, he wasn't reacting. It was, mm-hmm. uh, I had a plan. This was the plan from the beginning. I, I know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, so, yes, Jesus was slain from the foundation right. of the world, which I think kind of leads you into the, the covenant of works, which, right. which um, is, so in time, so... Now the world has been created. After the world's been created, the covenant of redemption is accomplished in time through two other covenants, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Uh, The covenant of works, we can talk about that. Uh, In the covenant of grace, we can also talk about that. But But what's important is that they're both in Scripture and they're both necessary because they're both instrumental in accomplishing the covenant of redemption. So, uh, when, when you lose sight of the Pactum Salutis, like the covenant of redemption in, in God's mind, you kind of get where you were saying that, where, well, this is just a plan. The covenant of grace is just a plan B to, to the covenant of works. And in, in dispensational theology, you get a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, not among the Calvinistic dispensationalists like John MacArthur and all those good guys, but among the originals, Charles Ryrie and, and all those guys, the Arminian ones, um, a lot of it can be seen as like a plan B, like God did this, he was rejected, so he started a new dispensation. He did this, he was rejected, so he started a new dispensation. And that's more classical dispensationalism. Some, some would even go so far as to say that Jesus coming was Jesus coming to even try try to bring the kingdom. And the Jews who the covenant was made with failed. They, they killed Jesus. And so even the atonement was a plan B all the way up until Jesus coming. Uh, right. That's that's not held by a lot of people today because uh, I think it's been very it, it's untenable. It's been very well refuted. Uh, but but there was a, a some of those classic dispensationalists, you know, late nineteenth century were talking like look, <laughs> Jesus came, he tried to bring the kingdom, he he preached this gospel of the kingdom. We see that stuff uh, throughout all the gospels. He's like, I'm I'm coming, bringing the kingdom. Um, and then the the uh, the Jews rejected him and they killed him. And so God's like, okay, well, plan B is plan B, not just from the garden, but now plan B from the incarnation is to say, um, oh, well, as a, as a second hand, maybe I'll just call this the, the saving of the world and resurrect him instead of bringing a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then the kingdom will come some 2000 mm-hmm. plus years later, uh, rather than saying, look, this was, this was the plan. We discussed this in our uh, Calvinism episode as well. The, the, that Jesus coming um, is God in his providence using the, the wicked deeds of men to accomplish his good purpose. Um, that knowing that this was this was all my plan to begin with. That right. everything, everything happened according to plan from the prophecies in, in Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Like everything that, that leads up to that was God showing I'm outside of time and this is where history is going. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're telling a story. We're going somewhere. We're not just... You know, making it up as we go right. along. Uh, God, we're not open theists, so right. God, God had a plan. He knew what was going on, uh, and, and He's He's actively working in history to make His mm-hmm. plans uh, and His uh, intentions come come to pass in history. And now might be a good time before we dive into the covenant of works and the covenant of grace to talk about church history a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And you went, so you went to Bible college. Mm-hmm. Um, did they teach you anything about covenant theology? Mm-mm. Did they teach no. you anything about church history and covenant theology? Um, well, there was classes <clears throat> you could take on church history, but it wasn't like formatted where like you would look through that lens. It was right. kind of like there was like specific classes. Right. 
I think, so I think one of my experiences growing up dispensational is that church history starts with Billy Graham or with uh, Charles Ryrie or with uh, Schofield or with Darby. Uh, it doesn't, church history really doesn't start before that. And if it does, it skips 2,000 years and goes to Irenaeus because he was uh, mildly premillennial. Um, or at the very least, the, the time of Reformation. You know, right. A, a lot of mo even modern dispensation will take the Reformation as something that was good that happened, but everything that happened before that was the Catholic Church stuff. Right, yeah. And and then we pick back up in you know, 300 AD. Right. Uh, maybe you pick up Augustine. But in that time, the, the Catholic Church, the Roman Church, is like, oh, we can't, we can't touch anything that happened in right. those seventeen hundred years or whatever. Right, but it's it's important to know that the the history of the church is important because we believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been active in the church for two thousand years. It was given on the day of Pentecost, and so for us to say eh, the Holy Spirit abandoned the church for a thousand years is to say that that Jesus lied when he said, <laughs> "I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you." Uh, but I wanted to read a, a little quote. This is from Clement of Rome. This is written in 70 AD. And uh, this covenant theology is so present in the early church and so present throughout the church, uh, throughout church history, that it's, uh, it's just amazing. And, and they, they really take it for granted sometimes. Um, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, both of them, while fighting heretics and while being apologetics of the faith, they both uh, were like unsheathed the swords and were like, oh, no. Covenants are ours, so uh, it, it does show you can't up. Can't have them. <laughs> yeah, it does show up at various points, but I thought this was really cool. Uh, so this is Clement of Rome talking. He says, "Let us therefore approach him in holiness of soul, lifting up to him pure and undefiled hands, lifting up your hands in worship, loving our gentle, <laughs> loving our gentle and compassionate Father who made us his chosen portion. For thus it is written." When the Most High divided the nations, when he dispersed the sons of Adam, he fixed the boundaries of the nations according to the number of the angels of God. His people Jacob became, became the Lord's portion, then Israel his inherited allotment. And in another place he says, Behold, the Lord takes for himself a nation out of the midst of the nations, as a man takes the first fruits of his threshing floor, and the Holy of Holies will, become, will come forth from that nation. Seeing then that we are the portion of the Holy One, let us do all the certain things that pertain to holiness. Then he goes on to talk about how we as the people of God should live. But he, he calls the church Israel. He calls the church the covenant people of God. He takes verses from the Old Testament talking about the, the people of God, the covenant people of God. And he's writing a church, I mean, writing a letter to the church and says, we. Oh, no. Yeah. Replacement uh, theology. Like replacement <laughs> theology. We'll probably get into that in a little bit. But. Uh, but I just want to talk about that that church history. I, I think uh, a lot of the times nowadays it can you can start to feel like correct me if I'm wrong like like you're kind of in the minority, right? Like when they're like, "Well, you believe in that?" Like, yeah, I do. And actually, if all of the church was in one room, one giant stadium, there'd be a weird group of people in the corner named dispensationalists, There's and no you guys way. would also be only ones using Walter's grape juice. <laughs> 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 Instead of some something a little bit more, shall we say, robust. robust. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of something a little bit more interesting. But yeah, so, so Isabel, mm -hmm. 
Any questions? Any thoughts? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Covenant of works. Well, what is a covenant? You brought the question. It's a compact. <laughs> it's a, compact? a contract. Yeah, essentially. I mean, a covenant is an agreement between two parties with agreed upon consequences. Meaning, if I do this, this happens. If I do this, this doesn't happen. So consequences mean reward or punishment. Uh, there's a such thing as a unilateral covenant and a bilateral covenant. Unilateral covenant is like me and Tim as equal men. We make this unilateral covenant. Bilateral covenant is the covenant that God makes. He can only make bilateral covenants because nothing's got backwards. Bilateral, Un unilateral. Oh, my bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So unilateral would be one, one. Right, you know, Uno, mm -hmm. right? Uno, oh, yeah. Uh, I know Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Mexican here. Uh, <laughs> no, so the, the unilateral covenant is saying, "I, God, making the covenant with man." Right. Might be no no conditions upon uh, man. Right. When when uh, God passes through uh, the halved animals uh, in Genesis 15, um, before Abraham, Abraham sits and watches it happen. This is God saying, "I'm making this covenant with you." It's not conditioned upon you at all. Right. Uh, I'm doing this. If whatever whatever consequences come come to me, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm doing that. The bilateral covenant would be more like right. would be more like a contract because yeah. it's that's you and I sitting down saying, "Hey, let's open a business together and promise not to cheat each other, and we're going to take this much share of the profits, and, and mm -hmm. we'll do that." Or a marriage covenant, you know, like right. you and your wife, where you, you come in. There's agreed upon blessings and cursings for uh, keeping the covenant, breaking the covenant. Those things, those are two equals right. uh, coming in with one another. God, uh, God can only make unilateral covenants because He's God. Yeah. He, because He's so much better than us, so much greater than us. Anytime He condescends, anytime He comes to make an agreement with us, it's a condescension. Right. Mm -hmm. He's stepping off His holy throne. He's coming down to a little old <laughs> us and saying, like, "I'll do this if you do this," right. and, and yada yada yada. Uh, so God is always condescending to us to make a covenant. I think it's important because I think I, I even misspoke earlier to, to call the covenant a, a contract. Uh, any of God's covenants with us, it's not a contract. It's not him going, here, sign up, uh, sign yeah. sign here. It's not like we get to negotiate either, where mm -hmm. I think a contract really involves more negotiation. So uh, if we were to define it, I wouldn't say that contract and covenant are interchangeable. This is right. Uh, the, the covenant is given conditions at up front. It's a right. face value. And it doesn't change. It, it can't change. Mm -hmm. It's not, okay, here's my first draft of the covenant. Um, let me know what you think. Revise it where you want. Um, send it back to me in a week and a half. Um, right. and, and I'll you know, I'll send it up to legal, and it'll be right. fine. Uh, That's but, not to say there's not conditions in the covenants God makes. Right. But there, it, it must be distinguished but from the, the human. But the contract. conditions are included in the covenant. Right. It's not what, what I'm saying is it's not like the, the covenant going back and forth saying, oh, right. if, you, you know, if you sweeten the deal here a little bit, then I can sign on the dotted line. Mm -hmm. This is... Nope, here's the thing. You enter into the covenant, and then you get your conditions on if I keep the covenant, if I break the covenant, right. all that is, is brought in. God God makes the covenant up front. We don't get to negotiate the covenant. Right. The, the deal. Uh, we take the covenant of works. Right. God making the covenant with Adam in the garden, but saying, you will be granted eternal life on the condition of perfect obedience. Here's, here's the standard. If you want eternal life, be perfectly obedient. Adam doesn't get to go. Well, you know, if God's saying, "Okay, don't eat, uh, don't eat from these ten trees," and Adam's like, "Could you do five? Uh, I want, I want those five um, to be available for me to eat." 
can you do that? God's like, nah, I could do seven, maybe seven. And we're, we're, we're good all the way down to where God's like, okay, just one tree. There'll just be one tree that you can't eat from. That would be like a contract. That'd be like contractual mm-hmm. obligation. I see your perfect obedience and I raise you three sins. <laughs> <laughs> but the covenant of works is saying, God condescending, saying, look, I'm going to give you, Adam, the person that I just breathed the breath of life into. I will grant you eternal life on the condition that you obey perfectly. On the day that you eat of the fruit, you're not allowed to eat this fruit from this tree. On the day that you eat of it, you will die. This is the covenant. This is the covenant between God and man. You have eternal life unless you break the covenant. Mm-hmm. Now the covenant has blessings and curses attached to it. Um, now, here's your question. Is the covenant of works a gracious covenant? Yes. Or is it legalistic? Or. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, the, the covenant of grace is a gracious covenant because... Whenever God makes a covenant with man, he has to condescend. He has to, because he's greater than us, he has to come down and say, like, he has to step down. So every covenant God ever makes is initiated in grace. It's gracious that he would even do it. So that doesn't mean that it was conditioned upon grace. It was the continuation of the covenant was conditioned upon perfect obedience. That's different than saying it was initiated in grace. Right. So it, it was a gracious covenant adam should have said thank you adam should have been like oh wow i can't believe you're doing this for me and i bet he was but that doesn't mean that it was uh conditioned upon the lamb slain before the world it it was conditioned upon perfect obedience and the reward was eternal life so um legal the legalistic thing i think you're trying to get me in federal vision trouble but (laughs) No, it's just an honest question. It's just an honest question. Just throwing it out there. I'm going to bring charges against you in church, but I'm not going to. Does that covenant of works make sense to you? Well, like, can you just re, like, define what exactly the covenant of works was? The covenant of works was the covenant that God made with Adam. Okay. Yeah. And, and, his, and his descendants after him. And his posterity. Yeah. And he, as our covenant head, was, God said, eat from the tree and you die. Mm-hmm. Don't eat from the tree and you and you get eternal life. That was the covenant. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it should also be distinguished that this is not saying that Adam was was saved by works. Yeah, and that's the the uh, uh, covenant of works um, can often give a, that a, impression. a, a yeah. bad impression um, because it's still, and that's why I I ask there is why is it why is the covenant of works still a gracious covenant? This isn't like mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of a lot of people, and we'll get into this too. Um, the the covenant of works would be the covenant of works was the first first idea, uh, even a dispensational kind of model. Of God God tried this, said here here's the gracious um, way that you can live your life. Um, you fail. I'm going to bring mm-hmm. you know make these covenants with Abraham and Noah, um, but then Moses comes along, and I'm going to reintroduce the covenant of works. You have a new law to keep. And if you want to uh, have eternal life, you have to keep this law perfectly. And so I think that's where you have to make a distinction because the covenant of works not being a re or the Mosaic covenant not being a republication of the uh, covenant of works mm-hmm. that Adam was saved by the grace of God because God made him perfect. He made him perfect to live yeah. in the garden 
Um, so to, to fail to keep that covenant is where his, um, his um, make, making him perfect is you're, you're in this condition now. Mm-hmm. Fail to keep this and you fall you lose out it. of it. It's not being saved by works. I'm placing yeah. you in this condition to begin with. Which was gracious. Which was gracious. Mm-hmm. The, then you can fall. But the continuation of that. of that condition was conditioned upon yeah, perfect obedience. He wasn't right. making Adam earn like right. Right. his agreement with God. Right. Yeah, essentially. He, he was, he was there. placed there mm-hmm. and that was gracious. But the hard part was perfect obedience to God, which yeah. Adam did not accomplish. Yeah. And then we fell. So a bit uh, a lot of people will be like, well, there's no covenant of works. Where does it say in Genesis? Well, actually, it says in Hosea. It's weird, right? It's like it says in Hosea 6, 7, but like Adam, they tra- they transgressed the covenant where they dealt treacherously with me. So that's Hosea 6, 7. It talks about God had a covenant with Adam. So a lot of people are going to say, like, where was the covenant of works? Where does it say that in Scripture? Uh, well, first of all, I think that without this verse where it explicitly says it, I think we could deduce logically that there was a covenant because what is a covenant? It's an agreement between two parties where you have consequences. Right. And we there's if you look in scripture, if you look in Genesis, that was obviously there. Well what's yeah, what's the what's the covenant that's made? It's you may eat of all the trees and the fruit of the garden, but except for the one that's in the midst of the garden, you cannot eat it. On the day you eat it, you will surely die. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, there, there's your covenant. Um, consequences, God giving conditions upon, here's what happens if you if you break my law, if you break the, the commandment, uh, you die. And Adam failed. Adam, Adam failed. Big time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because of his failure and God's graciousness, rather than wiping Adam off the face of the planet right there, he makes another covenant mm-hmm. with man. And he says, seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. He, he will come, he will crush the head of the serpent. That there will be, there will be another one of your, of your seed will be there. There's the founding of the church right there. We have the first gospel presentation. You have a sinner who just rebelled against God's law. Uh, he sins and God says, here's the gospel. Mm-hmm. There's one coming who, Will will ransom you. He, he's going to take that deceiving dragon, and he's going to kill him. Um, right. You you get to you get to believe in that, and now he offers a sacrifice, clothes them in the righteousness of God. God clothes them in their own righteousness because they were ashamed at their nakedness. He says, "I'm going to clothe you. I offer a sacrifice um, for your sin. I cover your nakedness, and I promise you, one of your one of your descendants will will come and mm-hmm. will will crush the head of the serpent." Adam believed that and was saved. Right. He, he believed the gospel. He didn't know the name of Jesus Christ, but he believed in the promised seed that, that would come, um, that, that promise. And so now you see right from, from then on, then you see um, his own sons offering sacrifices to God in, in confession of their own sin, saying, look, here, here's, here's the offering right, right before me. Adam understood that there was sacrifice necessary. Now, death had been introduced now we offer a sacrifice before God um, in faith that there, there was coming a redemption. There was coming a, a remedy to his breaking of the covenant. Um, and so anybody who would ask, will Adam 
will will Adam and Eve be in heaven? I would say the, the answer is a resounding yes, uh, because they believed that promise and were clothed in the righteousness that God mm-hmm. provided. Because in in Paul, I think Paul calls Adam God's son, mm-hmm. and that's uh, only people who are called sons of God are either faithful people or angels, and Adam was a man, so he would break the law. Right. So he's the son of God, which is like we are sons of God. So does that make so covenant of works? Adam fails. Then right there, God says <clears throat> to the woman, "Your seed and her there shall be enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Yeah. Um, so does that make sense? That mm-hmm. the right after the covenant of works is transgressed, God instituted the covenant of grace, grace yeah. and that's when the promise of the gospel comes. That Jesus is going to come and crush the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. and that's the gospel. Yeah. So that's the that's the first. Uh, that's like the seed. That I think they call it the proto evangelium, like the the embryo of the gospel is right there. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, if you want to throw out your your fifty dollar words in there, the, according to the proto evangelium, so <laughs> that's Genesis three fifteen. Uh, but, but that's that's the given, um, the first giving of the gospel. I think the danger of uh, why is that important? I guess I'm trying to answer preemptively. Is because uh, somebody who won't admit that is going to have to say that there's more than one way to be saved. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like, well, they didn't have the gospel back then. Okay, well then how were people saved back then? Did God not provide a way? Or were they saved, like, how were they saved? Uh, or, did, or did church history actually start on Pentecost? Right. So, So a lot of people are going to say, like, I remember asking questions as a kid, like, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And it was like, well, you know, if, like, if they really tried, you know, they'd, they'd you know, be all right. But that's that's not Christian. <laughs> the Christian, there's only one way to, to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Right. So, and, the, and the condition there of perfect obedience, uh, your perfect obedience, um, unless unless you fail, is still is still there like it's it demands perfection god demands perfection nobody can come to god uh, unless they're perfected uh, and so nobody now because we're all born in sin we inherit it from our father to his father to all the way uh, to our first father adam uh, that we inherited that sin nature so we're born in sin that's where we see uh, psalm 51 I was, I was in sin did my mother conceive me i'm mm-hmm. uh, i'm sinful i can't earn my salvation in any in any way um, because because i've i've already i'm born in a condition of sin i've already fallen from grace so the only way that i can be saved is by being a part of the covenant of grace um, which is a space and time covenant right which is really interesting because then when you follow through starts genesis three fifteen with uh the, the promise made to made to Eve mm-hmm. and follows through um, and there's different uh, revelations of it you know you're, you're you start showing the wrinkles you know and it starts unfolding before us in history you see uh, the Noahic covenant after after the flood God says go fill the earth subdue it go um, rule rule the world and so it, it the, the covenant of grace one promises eternal life again redemption through Christ but it also shows us that this is going to happen here on earth, space and time, because uh, it, it's always linked to 
physical, the physical earth. You have the, the land promises. Uh, you have Abraham says, look, your, your descendants are going to be uh, numerous as the sand of the sea, and they're going to inherit this land, Canaan. Um, and then you get to the New Testament, and you say, Jesus rises from the dead and says, uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, what is it, Galatians, uh, Galatians 3? Where, uh, uh, that, uh, or no, it's uh, Ephesians, where, where uh, children honor your father and mother oh. um, so that it may go well with you and you may inherit the land. Uh, you may live long in the land that, that the Lord your God has given you. So reiterating the fifth commandment in the New Testament that says, now you get the whole earth. Yeah, it's all, all of these covenants. Uh, the covenant is is getting, it's bigger, it's like but, it's, but it's a space and time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an ethereal, you know, it's it's floating out somewhere. It's saying this this covenant of grace is happening in human history and it's gonna be accomplished here in flesh and flesh and blood people. There's gonna be salvation there. Mm-hmm. So this might be a silly question, but no silly in questions. the old covenant and the new covenant, like you were saying growing up, thinking like, oh, how did people get saved before Jesus? Because I, I wondered that question too, but so they were saved through this covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Like Adam believed that and he was saved yeah. from that. So was it better or worse? <laughs> or not better. Um, was it better when Jesus came? Like, because obviously like he's our savior. He's the son of God. Like that is something that's great to believe in. That fact that we get that personally in like the new covenant. Mm-hmm. But um, is it like, because I remember thinking like, oh my goodness. I am so glad I was born in the new covenant, not the old covenant. Because <laughs> I could never do that. Yeah, like so, I could never. So if I if I promise that without Jesus, you know. <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I if I promised to give you a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you can believe that I if I say I'm going to promise to give you a hundred dollars, but it's going to be a while. <laughs> you can wait around and go. I believe that Tim is going to give me a hundred dollars. No, I, 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 I wait around. Up front. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can believe you can believe that promise. Mm-hmm. Until I actually give you the hundred dollars, you haven't received that promise. Mm-hmm. Um, then, so that that's old. That's Old Testament. I, I've seen the promise of the Messiah coming. God promised to pay the the, the ransom for my sins. I believe in that. Um, I believe that that is coming. That's that's a future promise. The New Covenant is. I gave you the hundred. I promised I would give it to you. I gave it to you, and now you're remembering me giving it to you every mm-hmm. time. Obviously, you probably spend the hundred dollars yeah. eventually, but you, every time you pull it out of your wallet, you know you're you're looking at it going, "Oh, Tim kept this promise. He he gave me the hundred dollars he promised me to give. Look, it's right here. I see I see it in front of me." Mm-hmm. Um, so the the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of the promise, and so we on this side of it get to say, "Oh, look, God fulfilled His promise. He he, he sent He sent Christ just as he, just as He promised He would." Yeah, <laughs> um, I t- I'm telling stories now. So the so, so, so the uh, the new as I understood your question is kind of like mm-hmm. so what's so what's new like so are we in a better position than they were? And I would say we are we are blessed to live in a time where we live in like the fullness of the of the new mm-hmm. covenant. Uh, they. They partook of the same gospel that we did. 
they partook of the same Christ that we did. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, for all were baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea. Dead baptism. And all, all ate the same <laughs> spiritual up. food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So they partook of Christ and they had the same uh, substance that we have in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. So we're not partaking of a different gospel. We're not partaking of a different substance. They had, <clears throat> they had everything that we have. What we do have is kind of like uh, a teenager who turns 16 and all of a sudden he can bench 200 pounds. What we do have is the uh, maturation, the maturity that we get to see things more fulfilled. That's the advantage we do have is that they had blood and they had blood and goats and all, all that stuff, all that physical stuff that was really for like like for children. It's like a tutoring for children. We have spiritual songs and sacrifices of praise and we're like the adults compared to them so it's not that we're uh it's not that we have a different substance to them it's not that they didn't have christ and we do have christ it's that we have more revelation and we get to live in a more fullness of time when it says new covenant it, it doesn't mean new as in recent origin it means new as in quality like it's it's like wow it's like just like new it's like renewed does that make mm -hmm. sense? So it doesn't mean uh, that I'm sure Adam would have loved to have seen Jesus come. And, mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact, Jesus did say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Mm -hmm. So they looked they looked forward to Jesus, to his day, mm -hmm. and they would have loved to see it. But that doesn't mean that they weren't saved by the same gospel we were. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that they weren't partaking of Christ through the sacraments, which is something that we forgot to talk about. It's sacraments. Every covenant has a sacrament. Uh, in the covenant of works, the sacrament was the tree of life. <clears throat> in the covenant of grace, we've had a few different administrations of the covenant of grace. Well, one might say dispensations. Ooh, dispy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, oh, did you guys know I figured it out? I figured it out. So I think, so the dispensation was, um, I was checking the, the Schofield Reference Bible, and they mistranslated the Tenth Commandment. They think it says, thou shalt not covenant. Do you think it says that? No. no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he was joking. trying he was trying to make a joke. <laughs> That's why we have Isabel here. Just to keep you, Just straight up keep, keep you in line. Like, yeah, 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 no. That that sucked. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Jeremiah, I'm the funny one, remember that? Three against one. I'm the funny looking one. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't know if we did we answer your question. No, you did, but it's just like the covenant of works and grace are just outside of like all like what we're depending on now. Like well like if practically if you're a Christian, the covenants of work of great and grace like still apply to you whether you have Jesus or not. Like yes. or whether like Jesus has fulfilled what like the prophecies and everything yes because because you're it's it's a it's a covenant made with made with mankind mm -hmm. uh, who who is then bound when the um when judgment day comes mm -hmm. how how are you judged are you are you judged based on being um under adam and judged judged by your works or are you judged by grace 
being under Christ, being under united with Christ. Um, the standard doesn't doesn't change. Yeah, um, you're under one or the through, other through history. Um, you're, you're at, at the end of history. We're judged based on whether we were um, united to Christ in the covenant of grace or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 judgment comes is that standard isn't going to be. Uh, it doesn't change based on, um, ooh, you know, the judgment for um, a Christian versus an unbeliever is, is the same uh, just judgment. They're not being weighed against different standards. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that work? <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did, yeah. yeah. Um, so when you have that, I think when you're talking about the, the new covenant being new in quality rather than new in um, replace, re- replacing. Mm-hmm. It's really looking, and it's really cool when you see um, how many times throughout, especially the New Testament, um, um, botany and uh, ar- arborism, um, the, the pictures of trees and plants and stuff are what's used in uh, to, to picture the, the covenant. And it's, look, it started as a seed in Genesis 3 and grows into a tree in the New Testament, New Covenant, uh, New Kingdom. So we're, we're looking at, okay, when, when we get to the, the, the coming of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the, the sacrifice there, we're not looking at this as something that um, was uh, something that just, oh, here, here's, here's the gospel plop in the middle of history. There was a plant that was growing. From, from the Garden of Eden, uh, grows up, and when Christ comes, it blooms into flower. Uh, there's fruit now to be to be seen and, and touched and tasted, um, so that it's no longer, it's, it's new because it's growing into that maturity, and now you can see that, taste it, mm-hmm. uh, utilize it. Right. So. But here, Isabel, here's where, you, here's where we start picking up stuff that uh, is important, because if the covenant of grace is the same in substance throughout all of history, meaning that the gospel has never changed and it's been mm-hmm. moved since the beginning of history, what that means is the statement, oh, but that was the old covenant, loses all weight. Yeah, because I feel like I only think in old covenant and new covenant. Like, right. Because that's how I was raised. So it's like, oh, now that the new covenant is here, like we don't have to be dependent on our works. Mm-hmm. And like we're accepted even if we don't like do anything. And our works are trash, like it's fine. Right. Yeah, and that's when it starts to, that's when, once you understand this, somebody says like, oh, but that was the old covenant. And then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, cringe. Because like, <laughs> because when you realize that all of the covenants after the covenant of works have just mm-hmm. been different ways of dispensing the mm-hmm. gospel, it's like the gospel was the Pez things. And these different administrations are the different Pez things that you can get. Like mm-hmm. one is Tim's face on it. One has Moses' face on it. One has Noah's face on it. Like, yeah. th- those are different ways of dispensing the gospel. It's different mm-hmm. Pez dispensers. But the little Pezes, they never change. The gospel has never changed. It's they become... all taste the same anyways. <laughs> <laughs> some, are mouth, pink, man. some are pink, some are yellow. <laughs> they all just taste the same. <laughs> uh, but that becomes important because then you're like, well, that's not entirely accurate because now you're treating it like they're not dispensing the same thing, but they mm-hmm. are. And there are certain things that carry on that, that never change. So the dominion mandate and the covenant of works, that was never repealed. It was never changed. As a matter of fact, it was reiterated to Noah. It was reiterated to Noah. It was re- it, it's 
over the Bible. I mean, it's clear as day. That was never repealed. Our duty is to be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. And I, didn't, I think that's important to say because that's where you start to get this whole, like, well, uh, you know, even though that was the old covenant, that doesn't mean that, you know, and you start getting, mm -hmm. sound like a reformed idiot, I mean, a reformed jerk. <laughs> but, well, I think that's, that's where you have to, you have to differentiate, and I mentioned it earlier, that the, the Mosaic covenant was not a reiteration of the covenant of works. Because that what happens right. is then you're you're really splicing history in weird ways. And, yeah. and when you say old covenant versus new covenant, then you can say we're still under the uh, Noahic covenant it says fill the earth, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply. Um, but the we're just not under the Mosaic covenant. That's that's right. the one that we, we we pull it out off the shelf and just leave that gap there. Um, but you know we like the we like the Davidic covenant, we like the Abrahamic covenant. Um, we we love we love Israel. Um, but but we just don't like the law, and we're going to take the law out, and we're now we're under grace. And so mm -hmm. uh, law law versus grace, rather than saying, look, the covenant that God made with Moses and the people of Israel was still a gracious covenant, right? It's mm -hmm. any 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 covenant that God makes with man is a gracious covenant. So we're not yeah. we're not looking at this as, um, and I've I've heard I've heard and talked with people when they say. Um, the, the covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant was not a gracious covenant. Um, like, but then you get to the book of Hebrews and goes, it, go, it points back to the, the Mosaic covenant and says, look, the Mosaic covenant was all pointing to Jesus. So was it, was it gracious or was it not? Mm -hmm. if, Jesus, if it's all pointing to Jesus, then it has to be gracious in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, he was still offering, he was still, God was still saying, look, you're my people. And this is how I'm going to differentiate my people from the rest of the pagans. They will keep my law. They mm -hmm. will keep uh, my word. I'm making this covenant with, with my people. And this is how they will be purified. Right. Uh, and so it wasn't saying, oh, this is, you can just kind of um, disregard all of this. Um, it was, the, the law was bad. Even Paul knows. So is the law bad? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's, look, it says, in Deuteronomy 5, 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He, he preferences it with grace. He's like, I just saved you guys. So here's the Ten Commandments. Like it's not, so so obey, so out of these, out of gratefulness for what I've done for you, here's the Ten Commandments. And you keep the Ten Commandments out of gratefulness. It's a reactionary keeping of the law. You're not trying to keep it to save yourself. And that's what a lot of people miss and that's really annoying. But Which is why it's really important to, to make that distinction that this is a, this is the space-time. This is how you deal with uh, individuals. This is how you as a person, flesh and bone, um, deal with individuals in your own life. You know, it's the second table. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't uh, murder. Don't kill. Don't, uh, you know, all, all the way down the line. Um, but you're, it's, it's all here, um, tied to land, tied, tied to your, your body with a spiritual significance to it. Mm -hmm. I, so... Just as we continue on, uh, chapter 7, section 5 of the Westminster Confession says it best. They really do. They say this, this covenant, the covenant of grace, was differently administered in the time of the law in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophets, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. 
by whom they had the full remission of sins and the eternal salvation, and it is called the Old Testament. So I, I think they say it best that like they, the covenant of grace was administered, the gospel was given to them through different ways than we receive right. it. We receive it through our means of grace are the word of God, which they also had, the word of God, uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper. That's how we receive grace. They received it in different ways. That, and God can change those means of grace, but the gospel never changes. Right. And so it, it becomes different when people, and that's why, you know, it gets annoying. People are like, well, that was the old covenant. It's like they were saved by the same gospel me and you were saved. So it makes you think that they were held to a lesser standard or to mm -hmm. a different standard than you. Sure, we don't, we can eat pigs, but the Ten Commandments, the moral law, that's still, that's still for me and you, buddy. Like, and then, it becomes like a it becomes like a game like well the bible says this well you know that was the old covenant yeah. well, that's a part of the moral law because then you can <laughs> then you can start splicing even the new testament you mm -hmm. know hebrews okay hebrews was written to the hebrew believers okay um so that doesn't apply to me um first and second peter were written to the jews dispersed throughout the roman empire well that was written to jewish believers so that doesn't apply to me um, right the first half of the book of Acts doesn't therefore apply to me because mm -hmm. that was that Mid was for, that was for Jews. Um, so you've got this this really difficult if you if you split that right down the middle and say old covenant new covenant, then you have to also cut out a good portion of the the New Testament that oh now Hebrews doesn't apply to me um, and First Peter doesn't apply to me and I love the book of First Peter. We just finished going through it at um, my work. Uh, uh, Bible study, our Friday morning Bible studies, just went through. I'm like, I just love this book. Um, it, it's so it's so rich in promises to the people of God. But if you take a, an old covenant, new covenant distinction, the way it, it's often presented, you end up losing that. Saying, oh, well, those promises don't apply to me either. So, yeah, right. what what promises are are left for me? But Okay, mm -hmm. maybe maybe a rapture, you know, a, a, nice, a nice a nice fancy dinner in the sky. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's that's all that's left for me is to, to hope for uh, yeah. as a Gentile believer. If those things are, um, I, I don't get to experience a, a lot of that that promise um, really fulfilled um, if you if you water it down too much. It's no longer right. robust. It's <laughs> it's Keurig coffee versus um, cold brew pour over. Jameson, I don't know coffee well enough to, to know what the difference is between Keurig and well, the, the top of the line coffee is. So all you have to know is Keurig is the worst. Okay, <laughs> hey, uh, you can't go to. But in in Acts in Acts fifteen eleven, the apostles said it like the most clear they could have said it. They said, "Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear?" But we believe that though the grace of the Lord Jesus, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved as in the same manner as they. Who's the they? The antecedent to that is our fathers. That's the antecedent. So our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, like all, all these, all their fathers, their, our, our fathers, were saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this verse says. So if you can't understand that, I mean, if you can't agree to that, then you have to start splicing history in different ways of salvation. Mm -hmm. 
were saved by the gospel. They were saved by a different way. So that's where you get, it begins to kind of necessitate dispensationalism. And that's why 1689 federalism is a load of garbage. <laughs> Thank you for going to my TED Talk. <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in next week when Jeremiah says something else controversial. <laughs> uh, Does that make sense? So I'm trying to drive yeah. that home because, like, that's such a practical thing, mm-hmm. and it becomes very, very annoying. Yeah, so, like, my next question would just be, like, what is the benefit of looking at these covenants and seeing, like, how they apply to our lives right now? And, like, you were saying that God works through the household, and, like, because the catechism said, like, he works different way, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, like, how does he work in different ways right now through his covenant? The benefit, the, the huge benefit, is when you understand that the people of God, the, the covenant people of God, have always been those who had faith in Jesus. The benefit of understanding that is then when you open, when you crack open the Bible, it doesn't matter where you turn, Psalm, First Samuel, it doesn't matter where you turn, you can apply that to yourself. Because as Jesus says, Jesus rebukes the, the, the Pharisees. He's like, essentially, he's like, you idiots. Have you not read the scriptures? They testify of me. The, the prophets were talking about me. The law was talking about me. It's all about me, Jesus says. So the, the advantage of that is you, Isabel, in 2020, can open, open up 2 Kings and apply it to yourself because this is for the covenant people of God. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the major practical benefit. You get to see Jesus in every page of scripture, and you get to have application for yourself from every page of scripture. And then the, what was your second question? How, <laughs> like, how right now, practically for us, do we see, like, him working differently in covenant? Because you said that he works in the household, or with the households. Right. Well, he's all so with households, that's never changed. He's always worked through families, through households what's different with us is our ordinances are the lord's supper and baptism theirs were oh, i have to kill 12 lambs tomorrow 13 mm-hmm. lambs today i have to like do this do that i oh tim died on my shoulder and now i'm unclean for a week like you know there's that that's the difference is that they had a um a larger yoke than us because god was illustrating the gospel to them more explicitly than he was to us because we're living in the time of the gospel so the so what's different for us is the way that it's administered what's not different for us however is that god works through households that's never changed and so would you say that like a household where they're not practicing that or they're not like their whole family isn't baptized they're not like teaching their children like these things like are they not a part of the covenant i'd say or are they just like ignorant of it are you talking about like your typical baptist household yeah or like yeah well i think um to be clear baptists can be covenantal too but they can (laughs) just incorrectly (laughs) but i think so i think God brings households into, into the covenant, mm-hmm. not individuals. Mm-hmm. So a Baptist, so as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, when he says your children are, are hagias, they're saints, they're holy, 
He wasn't giving an option as to whether or not your kids are holy or saints. He was stating a fact. So the Baptist who refuses to baptize his child, whether he likes it or not, his kid is holy. His kid is sanctified by the Holy Spirit and a part of the covenant people of God. So we give our we give our children the covenant sign because they're in the covenant, not to bring them into the covenant. Yeah. So those people are still partaking of the things signified. It's just that their parents are wrongly holding back from them the sign of the things signified, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper in some in some instances. So what? I don't know if I answered your question. No, but, you did. So I think I think they are they are still the covenant people of God, whether they whether they like it or not. That's kind of the point. It's like, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, Paul says that your children are holy, and Paul also mm-hmm. says that if you have faith, then you are a son of Abraham, and we are the true circumcision, the true Jews, is what mm-hmm. he says. One thing to to also clarify is when he was working in different ways throughout history. Um, you have Hebrews 1 that will then say, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. And so we have this, um, there were all these different, the, the different dispensations, the different administrations where those things, the, the sacraments, the, the way, you know, we were talking about the, the sacrifices, that now that's completed and fulfilled in Christ, mm-hmm. and so we're not we're not looking for something else to change. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when when Paul writes in First Corinthians, it says, um, it, "When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes." This is not we're not going to get to you know another five hundred years and go, "Oh, maybe the you know prophet will come along and say, nope, uh, you guys don't have to take the Lord's Supper anymore because this is how God's dealing with you now.'" Mm-hmm. Um, these this is the perfected this is the perfected covenant right. it's new it's perfect We're in the final it's, it's gracious now go teach it to everybody baptize them give them the supper um, you're you've been revealed through Christ um, mm-hmm. he's he's appointed him heir of all things so we're not we're not looking for something new anymore um, so those those different administrations have happened all the way up and now we're here perfected in the the new covenant through Christ, so we're not wait, we're not waiting anymore. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, just you, until He comes. You bring up a good point. I think like because you you are, you've already been exposed to like baptism debates and stuff that you bring it up and it's like just in your mind. But the whole like household thing is uh, this brings a lot of clarity to that debate because throughout all of the covenants, the households are brought into are brought into the covenant not just the individual. Mm-hmm. So what that means when you understand that the gospel has been around since so long ago is that you begin, you're like, oh, wait a second. I can't just say that since I don't see an explicit baby be baptized in the New Testament that they shouldn't receive the covenant sign because there's a lot more church history to go back all the way through Genesis and to analyze what is the place of a child in the covenant of God. And when, it, when Abraham says, um, I mean, when God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, out of Ur, the Chaldees, and he, he goes on, and he says, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers, and the land is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for hundreds of years. Oh, this is a long verse. Uh, anyways. Uh, oh. Nope. 
That's not the reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sign of the covenant. I found it. Um, and I will make my covenant between you and multiply you exceedingly. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Hold on, guys. Oh, here it is. Uh, Genesis 17, 7. And I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So that's Hebrews later. The book of Hebrews calls that the gospel. It says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. So number one, the fact that descendants are included in the covenant is a part of the gospel. And what is the main thing holding all these covenants together? The gospel. That's like the spine of this entire thing. So, number one, what that says to us is Paul might look at you with like a sideways face if you're like, so are our kids still included in the covenant? He'd be like, well, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. That's the gospel, you idiot. Like, mm-hmm. uh, But then it also says that all these covenants included children and then for the new covenant to be like, eh, they're out. First of all, that was never explicitly stated. So the burden of proof is on the person to say, eh, they're out. And it's a very large burden of proof to prove. Mm-hmm especially when Jesus takes infants in his hands, lays his hands on them, which is a, a Jewish way of blessing and bestowing, that's like a lay ordination. When Paul calls them holy, when Paul, when Paul calls them saints, the writer of Acts, Luke, calls them Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much in the New Testament that reconfirms that they're still part of the covenant people of God that that burden of proof, it, it just falls flat on its face. So once you understand all these covenants, Another benefit is that you look at the entire the entirety of Scripture and you're like, wait, children are a part of this deal. And mm-hmm. not only that, but the Jews would have had a huge problem if all of a sudden they had to leave their children out of it. There would have been a massive controversy. Well, and did the, um, if we're saying that the, the new covenant, the covenant in Christ is perfected, why would it be smaller than right. the old covenant? It's expansive. It's bigger. It's, it's including the whole world. It, except your children. Because then Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Go out, disciple the nations, baptize them um, as long as they're old enough to understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, go go, preach it everywhere to every, you know, the, the longer ending of Mark that will say, like James White might uh, freak out when I say, uh, Jesus, preach the gospel to every creature. Every, everything that moves. If it moves, preach the gospel to it. Everything. Um, but Jesus is Lord. Uh, he has all authority in heaven and earth. Repent, believe the gospel. All the way. Mm-hmm. If it moves, you preach the gospel to it. Um, so it's it's full. It's new. It's perfect. Um, why would we then say, oh, but not you? Right. Well, if it's more expansive, if it's, if it's going to fill the earth, uh, why would we then say um, that there are People who were included, like you said, people who were included before are now excluded. excluded. Right, the new covenant shrank. Yeah, you have to go. You have to go live in the uh, the the shed out back until you're old enough to come live in the house. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and and if you don't die by the cold out in the shed, then you're welcome back in here, and you can. That's really a brutal way of looking at it. As long as you know the password, you can come in, uh, come back into the house. So. It's an over intellectual over intellectualization of faith. Yeah. It's like a, it's just a brutal way of looking at humanity, and that's why, because it's so brutal, you have to make up stuff like the age of accountability. That if you just die before you're five years old, you're good. Like it's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
which is a fundamentally a denial of original sin. So yeah, because you you end up creating a third category. That there's a believer and an unbeliever and a not yet unbeliever. Mm-hmm. So um, that do we believe that a child is depraved from conception that they're in need of the grace of the Savior, or are they sin- born sinless and somehow fall out of that once they understand what sin is? Mm-hmm. It's how, how does how does how do these things add up? Well, one thing I notice with like a lot of women I know is that they're like worried that like how they raise their kids won't be enough and like their kids are gonna be like horrible when they grow up, but they're just gonna like leave the church and like I think that's like a realistic fear, but with like the covenant theology it sounds like that isn't really I mean it could still like you can still be fearful of that, but it's not like as much of a well, regard, regardless, your your responsibility is to train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Go go teach them these things. Yeah, and, and like the, like a lot of women will be like, oh, well, I ha- like I've taught them everything. I've sat down with like my kids every day and read them devotions. Like we did everything possible. Like what if they, that's still not enough and they just like leave the church? Well, fundamentally, I think that they're doing it wrong. <laughs> like if you're not baptizing your child, I think you're doing it wrong. And if you're not baptizing your child, you're communicating something to him or her. You're mm-hmm. saying you're not, you're not in the future. Like you're not. Or like you have to wait till that moment where you're right. able to make that choice on your own. Yeah. Like I think that's that's part of the, I think part of the treachery of Baptist theology is that you look at, for example, Christ Church of the CREC, Presbyterian, full orbed, robust covenant theology. They're all drinking their robust covenant theology every morning. <laughs> 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 they order their covenant theology in pallets. <laughs> uh, they call over broken glass for their covenant theology. Okay, I'm done. But they did a study, and their their uh, children, they keep their children in the covenant, in the faith, at a rate of like 97%. Contrast that with the SBC. It came out with a statistic saying, help, we're losing 95% of our youth. Mm-hmm. And now I look at that and I say, ideas have consequences, and obviously Baptist, <laughs> the Baptist theology is affecting that. I'm not saying that they are bad people or anything or like that. I'm just saying yeah. that their ideas have consequences, mm-hmm. and that's one of them, is that you're communicating something to your child that's not accurate. It's not biblical. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has a huge impact on the church. And that's not what was communicated to children all throughout church history. Like they yeah, were never communicated like, oh, at some point you're going to come to this age where you have to make this decision on your own, like, no matter what I've done, like, to persuade you, like, you're going to make it on your own. Right. No, it was like, you're a Christian whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and you could break the covenant. Right. But if you do, bye. <laughs> but if you do, do break the covenant, you're screwed. Like, yeah. So that's, I think we also have the, I mean, if you read Genesis 17, 7, mm-hmm. how God says to Abraham, like, this is for you and your kids and your kids' kids. He says mm-hmm. it. That's mine and Holly's, like, uh, life verses, Isaiah 59, uh, 12, I think. If this isn't it, that's going to be really embarrassing. This is the Second time. This is supposed to be our life verse. <laughs> hey, babe, is it 29? I mean, 21 or 12? Yeah, so forget it anyways. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> know your life verse. I don't, I don't even know. I don't it's, even remember. It's somewhere in Isaiah. Whatever. Yeah, so, you need so, a new life it's, verse. So, it's somewhere in Isaiah. Get, get a life. Where, God, where God's talking about, uh, he's talking to people and he's like, hey, look, uh, this is this covenant is for you, your children, and your children's children. Like, but however, if you read that to a, a Baptist person, they're going to be like, well, see, that was the Old Testament. And you don't. Well, what does that do when you seriously, when you don't believe those promises? What is that? Mm-hmm. That affects the way you live. Faith, belief, what you put your faith in, comes out of your fingertips. And that's going to affect the way you treat your kids. It's going to affect the way that you work. Like, your work ethic, your good works, are supposed mm-hmm. to be a reaction of thankfulness. And that's going to come out. And I really do believe that's the problem with the, why the church isn't keeping their youth is because they're not, they haven't embraced this full orb covenant theology. And I do believe that God blesses when you do it right. When you actually yeah. do baptize and commune your child and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You train up a child in the way he should go, he will not depart from it. I do believe that the Lord blesses mm-hmm. when you do it right. And I think that's part of the reason with American history is that the Presbyterians were so we're so bloodthirsty that <laughs> that we went out and fought the Revolutionary War, and the, the Presbyterian Church was essentially left in shambles because all of our men went out and fought the Revolutionary War. Who was left? The Baptists, and they took over the country essentially. That's why it's like Baptist nation, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the reason our country's we don't have very much time left. Uh, but yeah, I believe this has huge consequences for children and especially a mom who wants to like mm-hmm. believe in God's promises for her children. Yeah. Covenant theology is kind of a prerequisite to that. Like you've yeah. got to, you've got to grasp onto it. And well, I think it gives you like more comfort, like as a parent to you, knowing right. that it's like, if God's establishing this covenant, like you are faithful to keep your kids, like then they're going to, obey god it's not like a transaction where you're like okay if i do this then like my kids are going to be saved right but like like you're saying churches some of them are like still having their kids their kids are having kids and they're still like a part of that right and then other ones it's just like oh it's just the dad is a pastor and the rest are gone like mm-hmm. yeah i mean that i think it was abraham kuyper in the mm-hmm. 19th century and he he said christians ought not to believe that when they have kids, that they're populating hell. They ought to believe that they're populating mm-hmm. heaven. And that that's exactly it. The Bible mm-hmm. teaches that when you have kids, you're populating heaven. Yeah. Baptist theology teaches that when you have kids, you're populating hell. And it's your responsibility to drag them into heaven mm-hmm. by their hair. Which is what our Calvinistic, Baptistic friends will throw a fit. But you're, <laughs> you're saying that you're... It's inherently Arminian to say um, that they're they're coming in they're coming into the world um, and that God's election doesn't doesn't apply to the family right. that it's it's up to you to teach your kids faithfully until they either um, confess faith or fall away mm-hmm. it's up to you and it's up to the kid to decide to take it or do we say look God made a promise to mm-hmm. me and my children. And I'm going to trust him to make good on the promise. I'm going to train my kids in the way they should go and trust that God will keep them on the path. Right. That when they're old, they won't depart from it because God made a promise to keep it on the path. And that's where it all, it all comes back. When you come back to the covenant, 
you have to go who who originated the covenant, mm-hmm. who, whose responsibility is on is on the covenant. So if if a, a child is lost, if if a covenant child is lost, who has to answer for that lost covenant child? Is it the parent or is it uh, God? Who mm-hmm. said is is God's election cutting through the covenant, saying, look, he he was he was lost. Um, I I either elected him or didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. that's God's choice. That's God who has to answer for that. And ultimately, he will hold parents responsible. Saying, "Look, you guys, yeah. you can't say, oh, I raised my kid in the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and he still is living a pagan life mm-hmm. You know, now that he's 25. Um, God's going, yeah, but you let him party all through high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you let him uh, go off and, and spend time with his girlfriend uh, whenever he wanted, in, mm-hmm. uh, all, all night, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you let him sleep in through church. Play video games all hours of the you night. You let on him Saturday. throw fits as a child, and yeah. you didn't spank him. All, all the way through, <laughs> you know. So going, okay, did you actually nur- raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Does right. that mean that the parents of a of a lost child are automatically not uh, covenant keeping mm-hmm. parents? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily, but, but you need to be very careful before you say, "I was a perfect parent, just like God was to Israel, but just like Israel." My Rebelled, child left yeah. me. Like, first of all, you're not God. <laughs> Second of all, uh, I'm sure you can name some mistakes. Like, like Job is the best example. Job wasn't like Job was the most righteous man on earth, and he offered sacrifices sacrifices on behalf of his children. He was zealous for his children's salvation, and more than that, he took responsibility for his children's salvation on, on the assumption. Not even knowing if they had sinned or not. He didn't he even said, know. Look, they were out partying last night. They were partying at their house. I wasn't even there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to offer sacrifices just in case right. they sinned against the Lord. And I'm mm-hmm. offering these sacrifices, interceding on behalf of uh, my children. Right. Mm-hmm. Making sure. Um, There's a wonderful essay by Robert Rayburn called The Doctrine of Covenant Succession. And it talks about uh, the loci, the loci adultius that we tend to focus on the adult. Like mm-hmm. even our systematic theologies are written about adults and like mm-hmm. how, how adults are converted and stuff. But the Bible does not have its focus on adult conversion. Mm-hmm. We think that because in the time of the book of Acts, it was during a time of transition. So adults are being transferred into the new covenant uh, through households, Lydia's mm-hmm. household, Philip's household. But the Bible actually as a whole teaches covenant succession that Isabel's is going to get saved. She's going to have seven kids. Those seven kids are going to have seven kids. And that's how God populates his kingdom. Like that's how, that's how he does it. That's the norm. And he kind of goes through and talks about that and, and believing in the promises mm-hmm. and that it's not a 50, 50 thing. It's a hundred, hundred thing. If your child walks away from God, it's a hundred percent your fault and a hundred percent his fault. Even if you think you were the most perfect parent, you need to take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. And if my kid's going to go to hell, it's going to be over my dead body, like essentially. And that's how you, need, and that's how Job thought. Yeah. And I don't think you can think that if you don't, one, believe in, this, believe in the promises, and if you don't, two, take responsibility for mm-hmm. it. And that's when the Baptists are going to be like, well, you don't, that's why you don't preach the gospel to your kids, because you already believe. Okay, first of all, was the last time you heard the gospel when you were saved? Like, <laughs> if you don't preach the gospel to yourself every day, mm-hmm. you're yeah. probably in trouble. Like, we all need the gospel every day. Yeah. So. And that's like such a... Like how the churches we grew up in, like such a thing, everyone's like, oh, well, God doesn't have like grandchildren. Like you have to make the decision on your own. (laughs) Like it's like your children are not like your salvation doesn't transfer to them. Like it's up to them. Like that's like always what I thought too. 
and I would always worry like oh my gosh what if I have a child that goes to hell like what if I didn't do enough but I mean I feel bad for like all these like people who are like worried about their kids that much right. and they think that it's like all well it puts you you have to then ask like where where do you put God in relation to his creation is mm-hmm. he is he inside of his creation is he is he taking part in all of this, trying to trying to figure out as, as he goes, or is he the one who's outside of it and then making the entrance mm-hmm. into the creation um, to to have that relationship with with the children? Or mm-hmm. is he um, hands off? Is he hands on? Um, or is he um, outside of it, reaching in? Mm-hmm. And and that's where when when he's saving people, um, when you've got those um, the, the the challenging. <laughs> yeah, the whole grandchildren thing, I never get that. Like, God doesn't yeah. have grandchildren. I never said God had grandchildren. Yeah. I'm like, saying yeah. that my children are, in God's eyes, my brothers and sisters in Christ. They're mm-hmm. God's children. Like, well, and, and that's where, when you, when you say, is, is, he in, is, is he inside of his creation? Um, then is he just re- relating to one person, like, oh, and now it's a, a chain effect? Or is he outside of his creation right. and relating individually to each and every Mm-hmm. one of his his covenant children right. yeah. that, he, that he's reaching out and, and dealing with each of them individually but you're still the parent you know mm-hmm. you you have your child and they have their children and and god is your god and your children's god and your children's children's god mm-hmm. um, and still relating in in time and space but he's not bound by time and space he's still outside of it mm-hmm. um, so as we close in on an hour and a half no way we have to ask the burning question did the church replace Israel because <laughs> we're, we're often the covenant theology is, is our off, closing topic. is often known yeah I think we just spend a couple minutes on this okay um, the the covenant theology is often called or nicknamed um, I think affectionately uh, nicknamed replacement theology saying that because um, because we believe that, that the church is the new Israel, that it's replaced Israel, that God doesn't have anything to do with Israel anymore. Um, thoughts? Just throw that out to the room. Did, did, did the church replace Israel? Um, what do you think? Is this one pulling up a verse? I'm going to say it. So this is my verse. <laughs> well, yeah. did, did, you start with the verse. Did, did you find it? Uh, well, this is a verse that I think when I was first dealing with this, I, first of all, I think, if, let's say somebody's out there and you're listening to this and you have a hatred for what you think is replacement theology. You hate the Jews. I think, well, I think that it's important to ask yourself, what if replacement theology was true? Like, what if it was? Would I be willing to submit to it? Because me, I was so stupid and so lost when I was first, uh, like, you know, exploring this topic that I would read scriptures. And I remember I was talking to Holly about it one time when we were like teenagers. And I was like, this sounds like replacement theology. And she was like, she was like, really? How so? And I like told her, and she's like, yeah, probably. And I was like, I was like, I was like, look, if replacement theology is biblical, it's biblical. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can do about it. And I think that's a good place for someone to be. Because when you read verses like this, Matthew 21, 43, uh, this is Jesus talking to 
the Jews, and he says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. That's, that's the kingdom will be taken from you. It's going to be ripped from you and given to a nation that bears the fruits of it. I mean, that's like pretty hefty, you know? Like when you, so does that mean that, that Israel was cut off? Well, unfortunately, that's exactly what it means. In Romans 11, Paul says that Israel was cut off because of their disobedience. That doesn't mean that they're done. That does not mean that they're done. Because can the natural olive branch be grafted back into the, the tree? Yes. Mm-hmm. If, if the, the foreign one can, can't the, the natural one? And the important thing there is that, that in that same uh, discourse, Paul says, um, don't view that you support the root, but the root supports you. Israel is not the tree. Israel is the branch. Um, Jesus is the tree. Jesus. So if you're in Christ, then you're 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 in. Um, and so the the cutting off of Israel, so that the Gentiles would be saved, the the fullness of the Gentiles would come in, is not to say that God is done with Israel. Right. We can define what done with Israel would actually mean, but that he's he's cut them off and grafted in a new branch, um, so that it can bear fruit, and then graft in. The, the natural branch as well that they, they would well, we they are would, would bear fruit um, so the, the relationship there is different from um, saying that oh it <laughs> take take the one branch off put it put the other one in its place we're, right. we're grafting one off the one was cut off because it wasn't bearing fruit mm-hmm. and I, I we are Israel like that's the that's kind of the, what the Bible yeah. teaches is that we are the people of God are Israel. Yeah. Stephen, when he's preaching to the Sanhedrin, says that the church in the desert in Egypt called it the church. So, you, so as covenant theologians, we believe that church history goes way back. And Stephen calls a, calls the people of God the church in the Old Covenant, and then he says, like, but now the church. So the ecclesia, the church of God, is whoever believes, whoever has faith in Jesus Christ. That's the church of God. So we did not replace Israel. Israel never was replaced. Israel never stopped. Israel has always been those who have faith in Jesus Christ, and it always will be. Right. So where do I get this from the Bible? Well, it says in Romans 2, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is one outward in a flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God. So so Paul says, and you guys just heard it with your own ears, that he is a Jew who is circumcised of heart. So he's he's pretty much saying there, he's like, look, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised ten times. Ouch. You're not you're not a Jew if you don't if you're not circumcised of heart. Well what does being circumcised of heart mean? Well Paul expands that in Colossians two. He says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's circumcision of heart. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul says the true Jew is the person who is circumcised of heart, and you are circumcised of heart through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So who's the true Jew? 
It's the person who believes in the in the in the gospel. The person who is a Christian. That's the true. We are the people of God. And Paul Paul ends this uh, by saying in Galatians six. Um, oh, I'm in Colossians. That's why I was like I was like this is not what I was gonna. <laughs> Somebody uh, changed my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> All right, who did this? Um, it's because he's in the New King James. He says, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. So he, some translations, I believe like the one translation I really don't like, the NIV, says upon the new Israel of God is how they translate it. But Paul essentially says that as many as walk according to his rule, peace and mercy are the Israel of God. So that's why, that's why it's important, like, reading into the new covenant into the old covenant there's like a promise is like israel this israel that you sing a psalm in church and it's talking about israel is that talking about you yes are you are you do you believe in jesus christ yeah so but that doesn't mean obviously the, the bad stuff well well, well earlier <laughs> earlier in galatians paul says that there is neither jew nor greek you're all one in christ mm -hmm. um, and so you have to see christ as the real Israel. Um, yeah. He is He is the root who supports us, uh, as right. Romans says. Uh, it, we're, we're supported in him. Um, even in the old covenant, even the old dispensation, um, that Gentiles were still welcome into the assembly. Gentiles could come in um, and be converted into the congregation of Israel. They weren't, they weren't forever cut off. It wasn't always... Israel, all the pagan nations. There was a separate, yes, God's people were separate, um, but that wasn't exclusive. That wasn't saying only Jews could be God's people because the, the Gentiles were still welcomed in even in the Mosaic covenant. And they, they could enter by circumcision and washing of the flesh. They would say, come in, be purified from your paganness, from the worldliness, and come into God's people and you're welcome. You're not... You're not barred um, just because you're not a Jew. Mm -hmm. um, so even in the old um, pattern, even in the old dispensation, um, there was still neither Jew nor Greek. The only difference was, are you in the covenant or are you out of the covenant? Mm -hmm. Are you living as a pagan? There's no salvation for you there. Because a lot of people came with the Jews from Egypt yeah. who were Egyptians, but they were circumcised and brought into the covenant. Welcome. The, the Gibeonites in Joshua, when you see him, he goes in, they even tricked Israel. And they, they tricked him into saying, hey, make a covenant with us. We're from this far off land. Joshua says, okay, and then find out their next door neighbors. are like, whoa, that's strange. Um, why'd you do that? Why'd you trick us? But now we have to keep our promise. You have to, you're going to be treated. And they were defended. Um, and when they were uh, not defended under the covenant that Joshua made with them, under King Saul, um, they were avenged. God avenged them. As though they were his own people, that they were they were welcomed right. in, and though they were given responsibilities based on their deceitfulness, um, when the when other uh, Gentiles as proselytes would come into the covenant, they were not supposed to be treated as second class citizens. They were they were welcomed in to um, have fellowship. They could marry. They could have children with the other Jews. They were not to be viewed as oh you're you're a fake Jew. You were a Gentile. Now you're now you're a Jew. We're not allowed to marry you. Like you're you're a separate category. Right. When you're welcomed in, you're welcomed in. In Jesus's lineage is Rahab. Yeah, 
and she was a convert. Yeah. She was initiated into the covenant. Yeah. So replacement theology, yes and no. Meaning that there is truth that the church is Israel. The church is the Israel of God. We are the people of God. God is not a polygamist. He doesn't have two brides. Right. Uh, but also no in the fact that Israel, number one, is not does not have any significance in the plan of God. The ethnic people of Israel will be brought back according to Romans 11, and they will be grafted back into the covenants of promise. But Because all nations will be discipled. Right. That was the command of the gospel. So we right. can't, we're not saying, the covenant theologian is not saying, um, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations except the ethnic Jews. Right. Which, yeah, <laughs> but that's, that's not what we're saying. There is neither Jew nor Greek. All nations will be discipled. Right. Including Israel. Right. They have been sent a hardening so that the Gentiles can be brought in. But we believe that the Great Commission will be fulfilled in history, and that will include all nations, which includes ethnic Israel. Right. One day, the Jews will be true Jews again. Yeah. Right now, we're the true Jews. We're, we carry on the covenant, and they're out of it. They've been cut off, and right now, they need to be evangelized. They are not the people of God until mm -hmm. they're grafted back in. But they're an they anti-Christ because they've denied right. That Christ has come in the flesh. Right. They're still looking, like we talked earlier about the uh, the, the, the promised future. They're they've been given the hundred dollars. The hundred dollars is sitting on the desk in front of them, and they're like, "Gee, I just can't wait till till he makes good on his promise. Can't wait. Just wait when he pays me up. When he pays up, it's like, no, it's right there. It's right. There. It's right there. Pick, just pick it up. Take it. Believe yeah. it. Um, you you're supposed to you're supposed to do it. This was given to you first, um, and and you're missing it. So view it as Christ has come in the flesh. You've received your Messiah. Believe in him and have eternal life in his name. Mm -hmm. That was the promise of the gospel. That's the promise that we all hold to. And that one day when that hardening, when the fullness of the Gentiles is coming, that, that hardening will, will, will go away. Uh, and Israel, ethnic Israel, will be converted. Right. And so I, I we're, think not, we're not anti-Semitic. We're no, not anti-Jews. at all. We actually we, believe that the Jews will believe in their Messiah. We have the only hope for Israel mm -hmm. as covenantal post-millennialists. The dispensationalist says that we're anti-Semitic, but then they turn the page and then they're like, yeah, two-thirds of you guys are going to be slaughtered. It's going to be like the worst you've ever seen. But, you know, there's you, you guys are... No, it's cool. We got your back. We're your friends. We're yeah, your friends. No, it's like, <laughs> no, wait, we're like, no, believe in the, you guys are going to be, one day the entire nation of Israel is going to write a constitution and say, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus and Christ they're all, is and, Messiah. And they're going to be yeah. saved. And sometimes where people can go wrong is Paul warns against the Roman church in Romans 11 saying, do not boast yourself. Like, don't think that, you know, like the only thing separating you from them is the grace of God. Mm -hmm. So he says, like, you know, don't even, like, think that for some reason you're better than them. Like, right. no anti-Semitism or something like that. But uh, believing that, oh, they're the, they're the people of God and the church is like this parenthesis and two-thirds of them are going to be slaughtered very soon and we're going to be up in heaven having a good time is, just tell that to a Jew. I would just love to hear it. I would just love to be them be like, What? Like, <laughs> but I'm a friend of Israel. Yeah, but but don't you worry, I got your back. Like, no, no. 
So, so no, we do not believe the church has replaced Israel. And also, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but only because that's how redemptive history has unfolded. And that's, right. how, God, that's how God has re revealed it in his word. Um, that he has one spiritual people. And visibly, there's a visible church, an invisible church. Your spiritual, spiritual Israel are those who have believed in Christ, trusted in his name, profess him as Lord over all of life, over all of creation. And so we say, repent and believe the gospel. Right. And le unless people think, you know, Reformed people or anti-Semitic, it's literally in our standards, the Westminster Larger Catechism commands us to pray for the conversion of the Jews. Yeah. So we've been doing this for 500 years, for hundreds of years, uh, praying for the conversion of the Jews uh, while people are writing while Charles Ryrie and them are writing dissertations about how bloody their slaughter is going to be. So it's not really accurate to say that we are anti-Semitic against the Jews. It's not, not fair, but we can probably get into that in another episode for sure. Bless you. I thought we were talking about covenants. <laughs> well, Isabel, did you have any closing questions, closing thoughts before we sign off? No. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being the, the, the welcome audience member into the uh, into yeah. the um, welcome into the studio. To mm -hmm. thanks for having me. Yeah. I learned a lot. Well, I'll nice. never be a covenant. <laughs> I'll never be a covenant theologist or whatever it's called. But <laughs> so we didn't. I didn't just kidding. Okay. We, we, we didn't win her over. Right. <laughs> we'll have to have her back on sometime. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks guys for joining us. Um, check us out next week we're going to actually do uh, our next episode our Born to Read episode next week is going to be on uh, intro to covenant theology called The Promises of God by R.C. Sproul which will help it is a helpful introductory guide for anybody who has more questions good one so stay tuned for that uh, thanks for joining us and we will catch you guys next time peace I guess food I'm starving <laughs>